invite you to turn to the 32nd chapter of the book of Genesis. It was the great uh, Georgia writer, Flannery O'Connor, one of my personal, uh, maybe top 20 authors, I guess. I don't want to say she's higher than that, but she's enjoyable. Uh, O'Connor once said that the reader prefers his grace light and warm, not dark and disruptive. Light and warm, not dark and disruptive. And of course, O'Connor was infamous. Flannery was infamous for her, her characters who were often dark and disruptive. You just read some of her short stories. You find grotesque pictures of people. Uh, that may be why I enjoy her. I don't know. But um, they're, they're part of the seamy side, the ugly side of life. Um, we come here this, this morning to really an episode. On the one hand, you find it in pretty much every kid's Bible I've seen. On the other hand... Uh, you don't usually find it really explained too well. You find it in every kid's Bible I've ever seen. You find it in Sunday school. I grew up learning about it. This is, you know, you have Jacob's Ladder in the kids' story Bibles. You probably skip over maybe Leah and Rachel, that's adult, you know, that's family drama, that's wives. And then you get to this. You get to Jacob wrestling with God. Oh, that's fun, wrestling. Interesting. But what does that actually mean? We have here the third encounter, the last encounter, remarkable personal encounter that Jacob has with God. He's met God at Bethel in the latter. 20 years later, we saw last week, he meets God and his angels. And now, finally, he comes to meet God for the last personal encounter. The first two have been great. They've been warm. They've been loving. They've been encouraging. God comes to him. God says, I'm going to be with you. I got you. Don't worry, he, he reassures him. We saw last week, but this encounter is dark. This is dark gospel. This is disruptive grace. This is raw and radical uh, change, transformative, nighttime grace. This is Jacob wrestling with God. It's not, a, not really a kid story. It's one of the most mysterious incidents in the whole of Scripture. It's disturbing but like any profound, real encounter with God, it's life-transforming. So let's come and find it out. Let's come and look at the text. We'll read verse 22. We'll read through verse 32. And we'll be reminded that it's not just me reading here in Stockbridge. It's not just some uh, uh, ink on a page, but it is the very word of God that seeks to transform you, seeks to change you. God will change you if you hear his word. Let's hear Moses. Let's hear God. The same night, Jacob arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched Jacob's hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put at a joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to Jacob, what's your name? He said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God, with men, and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed, 
Phinuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. The grass withers, the flowers. Right now, many of them are fading, but the word of God endures forever. Let's pray and ask God's blessing upon the reading, the hearing, and the doing of his word. Lord, we often contend with you. We often struggle. Our lives are filled with grappling. Help our souls tonight, this morning. Help us this day and this week as we grapple with you to receive your grace. Change us, Lord, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. We come here to Jacob. You see three things. You have your outline here. Jacob, first, the contender. Jacob, the contender. There's something that's lacking in Jacob still. On the one hand, he can pray an amazingly godly prayer. We saw it last week. The longest prayer in the whole book of Genesis. On the other hand, he's still a schemer. He still fears his brother Esau. And so now we see God intervening to change Jacob with muddy mercy, murky mercy. We find, you can look at verse 22, we find what he does, first of all, that sets the scene. We find that he sends across everybody else. He sends across his family, across the Javik River. Who cares about the Javik River? Why does that get so much airtime here? Because the Javik River, well, it's the river into the promised land. Once Jacob crosses this, it's crossing the Rubicon. He will be a different man. He will be in the promised land. God will have blessed him, but God is not going to let him get blessed before there is life change. We're going to see the difference today between transformation based upon fear and transformation based upon grace. We're going to see here that Jacob is transformed. For the first time in his life, you'll notice verse 24, he's alone in last place, at the end of the line. He's not in first place. He's always wanted to be in first place. He's always tried to be the one who's first in line. But he's last now because he's scared out of his mind. He is willing to send his kids along first, his wife along, his wives along first. And Jacob stays on this side of the river. You see, if Jacob crosses the river, even just tactically speaking, it's just uh, from a military level, he'd be trapped against the river if Esau wanted to kill him. He'd be trapped if Esau wants his head. So before Jacob crosses, he's in the dark night of his soul. It's do or die. We find verse 24. I love how the Bible just does this. He's left alone, but he's not alone. The moment he's alone, he's not alone. A man comes out. We're told a man wrestles with him until daybreak. He starts to throw down with Jacob. He wrestles with him. This is not Hulk Hogan. This is not WWF or whatever. This is not, you know, play wrestling. This is a death grapple. This is raw, real wrestling. It's the sweating skin of another human being rubbing up against your own. It's another man's muscle compressing you. This may surprise you, but I had a time where I was in wrestling. I won one match. The guy's arm was bent back. He cried. We were in eighth grade. It didn't matter that much. Every other match I lost. That may not surprise you. But he was panting. I know what it's like to pant a little bit. He was staggering. Jacob and this guy were were fighting each other. They were pushing their wit and their muscle and all they had against one another. No word spoken. Hour after hour, dark, death, grapple. 
Now it's clear from the context here, this is the figure known in the Bible as the angel of the Lord. This is not merely a man. This is a figure who has the initiative, who takes the initiative. This is, in a sense, God himself setting himself against Jacob on the border of the promised land. God stands in his way. He says, you shall not cross until he contends with Jacob and Jacob contends with God. Friends, have you ever struggled in your life? You ever contended? Do you know what it is to fight in the dark? Do you know what it's like to fight in the dark? You will before you die. Some of you have to wrestle with disappointment in life. You plan and you plan and you hope and you hope and you don't get it. You dream a great dream and the dream never happens. Some of us wrestle against pain, illness, loss. We're lonely, frustration. Some of the best saints in the history of the Christian church wrestle against depression, discouragement, doubt. These are our foes. So don't be afraid if on the one hand you're a contender. Calvin comments on this text, all the servants of God in this world are wrestlers. You're called to wrestle. You're called to struggle. But Jacob here is not struggling with God on his side. He's struggling against God. It's his long, dark night. He is face to face. He's all alone. All he has are his chops. All he has are his strength. And you would expect at this moment that the cavalry would show up, that the angels over in that army encampment, just a little ways away, they would burst out of the clouds. They would march over to Jacob. They would give him a pat on the back. They would say, you know what? You've tried hard enough. You've done a whole night of wrestling with God. You've been a good boy. You've been a good Christian. You've been trying really hard. And like Christmas Eve, the angel would say, behold, I'll bring you good news of glad tidings. You know, all God wants to see is a little bit of fight. Do you have, you have a pep in your step? Are you willing to struggle a little bit? But that doesn't happen at all. God is not interested in simply you showing that you have a little bit of fight in you. Jacob is in dire straits. And somebody meets him, but not to comfort him. God comes to him. The angels come. One does. But not to give him comfort. Not to say, oh, Jacob, you're worried about Esau. Don't worry about him. I got you. He comes to fight against him. That's why this story is often misunderstood. If you read the tale of Jacob wrestling, we say, ah, my problem as a person is that I'm not wrestling my night terrors. I'm not fighting my giants. I'm not facing down my demons. We make it all about ourselves and little about God, all about our need to struggle and nothing about God's grace. This is a story, however, soaked in grace, just not the kind of grace we expect. I mean, don't you expect, I mean, many Christians expect that if God's going to show up and help you, he'll be your buddy. He'll give you the warm blanket. He'll give you the hot cocoa or the tea or the coffee, whatever you prefer. He'll give you a pep talk. He's in your corner. He's not in the corner. He's in the other corner. We don't expect God to come in the winter of our existence, in the dark night of our soul at two in the morning and give us grace that looks darker. We expect God to say, to the waves, peace be still. We don't expect him to amp it up. But here God amps it up. God says, I will put you through something worse to show you my grace better. I will put you through something that feels worse to show you how beautiful and how needful it is to see my grace. 
I mean, this is what happened to Job. In case case you're wondering about this, it's the life of Job in a nutshell. God allows Satan to put Job to the ringer. And Job begins to the very end to say, God, why? And God asked Job, who are you to question me? Were you there when I flung the stars, Orion's belt in the sky? Were you there when I made Leviathan in the sea? We don't even know who Leviathan is as modern day readers. And all Job can say is, I was wrong to expect your grace to look a certain way. I was wrong to typecast and stereotype your gospel. God did not come to Job and say, you know what, Job, hey, don't worry. It's going to work out in the end. You know, all things work for good, right? Romans 8. Instead, God comes to Job and says, here's what you need. You need to know that I am more than you could ever imagine. I am greater than your greatest understanding of me. You need to fear me more than you do. And what's Job's response? Though he slay me, yet I will follow. Though he slay me, yet I will follow. And Jacob's fighting this guy. That's part of God's point here is to take Jacob to the end of himself. That's why in verse 25, we have the, well, the, the, the first weird thing. or I don't know how many weird things there are. It's, it's one of the weird things here. Verse 25, look there. We're told this. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of a joint. Now, what does it mean that the man saw he didn't prevail against Jacob? Is Jacob kind of superhuman? Is he, is he able to kind of wrestle with God full, full strength, full bore? How can God wrestle with Jacob and not win? Well, you know this, dads. You know this. If you have a son, and your son says to you, oh, let's arm wrestle. And what do you do if your son's five years old and you want to be nice to your son? You don't just, bam, I win. No. You struggle for a time. You're like, oh, oh. You don't use all your force. That's what God does here. You don't know who's going to win. It looks like it's going to be a split decision. No knockout blow. It's like Rocky and Apollo Creed. Nobody's going to give up. But finally... Just to prove who we're dealing with here. We're told that he touches, the guy touches Jacob's hip socket. And instantly his hip is put out of joint. Now I'm told from the wrestling people that a usual wrestler to do this would have to give a huge blow to dislocate the hip. But this man, this individual is able to do it with a touch. That word touch is the same word used in Isaiah 6 when the angel touches the mouth of the prophet Isaiah with the burning coal, just a baby touch, just a bare little touch. And Jacob collapses. He's done for. He's out of the fight. And Jacob realized it's never been an even fight. It's never been an even duel. God wants to bring Jacob to the end of himself. He allows Jacob to use every muscle ripped. Only so Jacob can see, you think you're so strong. You think you're so clever. You think you're so cunning. You believe that you can fight me all night long and win. All your striving, Jacob, will get you nowhere. The wrestling ex- experts tell me as well that every throw you use in wrestling uh, is based upon the pivot of the thigh. If you want to throw somebody, you got to really use, well, what Jacob doesn't have anymore. It's, it's, it's out of commission. He's finished. He's crippled. He's helpless. He cannot win the bout. With a touch, he is defenseless. So Jacob here is no longer a contender. He's a failure. He's a failure. So secondly, we see here 
what failure Jacob does. No more contender. Verse 26, what does he do? The guy says, hey, let, let go of me. Get off me. The day is broken. I don't want you to be with me when the light comes up. A hint there that you cannot see my face and live, perhaps. But Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. In his dark hour, Jacob reverts back to his classic maneuver, I want the blessing. In one sense, he's always tried to get the blessing. But he knows that this blessing is different. He can't get it unless God gives it to him, unless this man gives him to him. He clings on. He clings on to this God. He clings on to the one who just beat him. He clings on to the one who's brought him to the end of himself. He says, I won't let go like a little kid clinging on to you. He clings on with manic desperation. Why does he do that? Because he realizes it's God with whom he's dealing. He realizes finally that the great issue in his life of not Esau's brother, it's not the, the demons he thinks he's facing, it's not the issues he thinks he has, that the most critical relationship he has is not with that person, but it's with God. He must have the blessing of God. And in case you think that's like just my take on things, we actually get inspired commentary on this very story. The Bible itself tells us what this means. Hosea chapter 12, verse 4, we get these words. As a man, Jacob struggled with the angel and overcame him. Hosea tells us, how did he overcome him? He wept and begged for his favor. Jacob did not use some secret wrestling move to win the battle. He did not use the crane kick. He did not overcome by strength. He overcame as he wept. He overcame as a broken man. He overcame by begging like a baby, like a wimp. He clung like a child, and in that was his victory. Do you realize that in all of your struggles, you will never win? You will never be a winner until you realize that you deal with God. You will never be a winner unless you realize that ultimately your relationship with God is primary. You'll never be a winner in anything, any, any arena in life. It's not the affliction you have. It's not the, the cancer diagnosis. It's not the problem. It's not the person. It's not the struggle. It's having the blessing of God or not. Calvin, again, is, is wonderful in this text. He says, our faith is tried by God. Whenever we are tempted, our business is truly with him. Do you know that to be the case? That in the temptation you have to give in, in the temptation you have to be angry, in the temptation you have to despair, your business is really with God and not with the circumstance. This is why God appears to come against us at times, so that you will give up your striving. As, as one commentator writes, at the same time God is against us, he is for us. While he lightly opposes us, God supplies invincible strength whereby we overcome. God lightly opposes us. At the same time as he lightly opposes us, he gives you invincible strength to cling to him. Isn't there so much we could say at this point for application, but I think one area that we need it is in our prayer. Isn't there a challenge here for us in our prayers? What do you know of wrestling with God? What do we know of clinging to God, of pleading with him, of weeping before him? Prayer is colossal work. 
It takes all of our strength. It takes all of our life. And we do pray like that in a pinch. We pray like that when the hurricane is coming. And then when the hurricane passes over, hey, we're done. We're just happy we're, we're, we're alive and we're, we're, we're going on to the next thing. But surely we don't need to wait for dire straits to pray to God like this for his blessing. I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now, those are not arrogant. And Jacob has said that before very arrogantly, very cunningly. Hey, Isaac, I'm really Esau. Bless me. These are not arrogant words. These are exhaustive words. These are helpless words. He will not let go. That's the mark of faith, friends. This is what God wants you to do. This is God's purpose in coming against you, that you will cling to him. So then we get to not simply the contender and the failure. We get to Jacob transformed. We get to Jacob the transformer. He doesn't turn into a machine or a robot or whatever, but he is transformed. Verse 27. We get a, uh, another weird thing about the story. The guy says, the angel says, hey, you want the blessing? Okay, here's what you got to do. Say your name. What's your name? That's not usually the question that we get with God unless you're at the DMV. But he makes Jacob say out loud, I am Jacob. He doesn't do that because he's filling out a form. You know, the angel's not filling out the form. He knows who Jacob is. But he wants Jacob to confess not just his name, but who he is. That one word. Jacob, deceiver, heel grabber, twister, devious, self-reliant, ambitious. He forces Jacob to confess his character because God will not let Jacob enter the promised land like this. He has all these schemes. He's going to get past Esau by bribing him. He's going to get past Esau by divvying divvying up his property. He's going to get past his problems by wriggling out of them. And for the first time, Jacob owns who he has been his whole life from the womb. And so something must take place. There must be a transformation. So there is. Verse 28, the angel says, for the third time in this book, we get somebody renamed. Your name should no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. Israel. The name means God fights. But it's a weird name. It's one of the most common words in the Bible. Israel appears all over the place. But what does it mean? It means God fights. But there's ambiguity there, right? God fights for whom? Against whom? Eh, we don't quite know. But the author tells us in this particular case, the etymology, the meaning of the word. For you have striven with God. And the ESV, unfortunately, doesn't do the best rendering here. Let me, let me give you what I would say. A better translation is of the the verse. You have fought with God because you have fought with God with men you have prevailed. Not you fought with God and men and have prevailed. No, no, no. Because you have fought with God, you have prevailed with men. In other words, here's the meaning. Because you were willing to contend against God, because you're willing to fight with God in this moment, because you're willing to lose to God, the implication because you're willing to, to lose and to cling on to him alone. That's the only way you will have success against men, against the problems in your life, against earthly trials. It's only when Jacob loses that he will have any success against Esau. It's only when he's overcome and clinging to God that he will be able to cross the river and go in the promised land. For the first time in his life, he gets the blessing clean. No tricks. 
He gets the blessing clean and open directly from God's hand. And he has done zip. So then Jacob says, all right. Turn about fair play. I give you mine. What's yours? I give you my name. Since we're handing out names, what's your name? We forget in our day that names have a lot to do with control. That's why even today, as an act of independence, people will change their names. You may know the great boxer Muhammad Ali. You may know that he was not born Muhammad Ali. He was born Cassius Clay in the mid-60s. He changed his name to Muhammad Ali for a variety of reasons. No time to get into him. But what's funny is we take it for granted, right? That, that's, a, that's his name. But at the time, if you read the newspapers, everybody thought it was a promotional move. You know, a boxing move. And they do today in boxers to amp up the marketing for the matches. They have some big issue or whatever. Of course, for Muhammad Ali, it wasn't, it was a, he, he took it seriously. But he had a fight against the guy a, a little while after named Ernie. And Ernie thought it was a trick. He, he, he said in a pre-match interview, I'm going to call him Cassius every moment I get. And they went in the ring and he starts calling him, keeps calling him Cassius Clay. Keeps calling him, goading him on. And what happens to Ernie? Annihilated. Destroyed during the fight. Ali was furious. He was so furious that infamously, he knocks Ernie down. He stands over him. There's a picture of him standing over him. And he screams, what's my name? And Ernie croaking, Ali. He gives in, right? That's our view of names. That's our view of who we are. We make people say them. We force others to say them. That's why it's fascinating that here, when Jacob says, please tell me your name, the angel says, no, I'm not going to. Because Jacob cannot control God. He cannot control God's power, but supremely, he cannot control God's grace. He is not Muhammad Ali. He cannot contend with God and win. That's why he's crippled. In fact, Jacob is transformed because he becomes disabled. His strength becomes disabled. He becomes a cripple. He is lame. He's limping. Verse 31, we're told he limps because of his hip. Every day he gets up and his hip hurts. Every day that weakness reminds Jacob he cannot force God to grace him. He cannot force God to be at his command like a genie. Instead, he has to cry out to God. That's why he names it. You'll notice here in verse 30, he names the place. He does give a name. He names the place Peniel. I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. It's a dangerous thing to see God face to face. That's why the, the angel didn't want him to see him at daybreak. When the sun comes up, might not be good for him. Jacob is about to enter the Holy Land, but God has to transform him by coming face to face with him before he does. Jacob, like the caterpillar to the butterfly, is transformed. But he is transformed with an ugly limp. He is marked forever. He's lost his swagger. He is Israel walking in weakness. You see, friends, this is, of course, the lesson, the lesson for us. Jacob had to die to himself. He had to die to Jacob. He had to die to his old name. He walks away victorious because Jacob has been beaten. He walks away bigger because Jacob has been made smaller. He walks away crippled because God has made him whole. In the dark, 
In the dark, he dies. In the dark, a death takes place. The death of Jacob. In the dark, a resurrection takes place. Israel, in the dark, a new name. In the dark, new scars. He clings to God. He's given new life. You see, friends, the reason that this is a weird story is not because it's in Hebrew. The reason this is a weird story is not really because it has some strange versions. We don't kind of know what to make of it. The reason this is a weird story for us is because we don't want to encounter a God who does this. The reason this is a strange story for us is that this is not our gospel, we think. We don't want a God who comes to us and says, there will be one man left standing. It's not going to be you. God's coming here as Lord and Master. It's not Esau that's your problem, Jacob. It's not your marriage that's your problem. It's not your boss that's your issue. It's not the world out there, the man that's keeping you down. Your problem is that you think you're Muhammad Ali and you're not. Until you come to the end of yourself and realize that God is enough. You'll never cry out to him. Have you come to the very simple question, the very simple application at one point? Have you come to the end? Do you know you're a failure? Do you know that clinging to God, if that's all he gives you, that it's enough? There is nothing you can do to make cancer go away. There's nothing you can do to change the heart of your neighbor. There's nothing you can do to fix the circumstance that you find yourself in. You change, maybe you, you get one, you, you change one circumstance, and there, there's 20 more that come at you. And God says to you, will I be enough? And you're going to have one or two responses this morning. And in your whole life, you're going to have one or two things are going to happen. You will say no on the one hand. My way is good enough. I'm good enough. I'm strong enough. I can scheme enough. Or you will cling to God and say, bless me. You're all I have. You will give up your striving. This is actually what God does with his, with, with his people, Israel, in the desert. God says, look, I'm going to send you in the wilderness for, for years. I make you a pilgrim people, not because you are strong, but because you are weak. It's what God tells to us as Christians supremely. Don't believe that you had anything to do with your salvation. God has done all things needed for you. His grace is sufficient. And sometimes the necessary, this is the hard lesson of this text. Sometimes the necessary thing is to extend your suffering. It's to extend your sentence. It's to not deliver you from a light momentary affliction because there's a weight of glory yet to come. Do you understand just how weird this is? How countercultural this message of grace is? Let me, let me show you how countercultural it is. Um, about 100 years ago, there was a famous... Guy, you may have heard of him, Teddy Roosevelt, Theodore Roosevelt, a man who uh, was crippled when he was younger. He had a, a disease. His leg was a little stunted. He was a little runty. And what did he do with his lame? What did he do with his crippleness? He fought against it every day. He worked hard. He worked out. He went and he ran and he went and he lifted and he went and he, he strived against it. And he became the outdoorsy TR that we, some of us may know and know and enjoy. He became a man's man. He went out and became a cowboy in the West. He went up to San Juan Hill in Puerto Rico. He became someone who gave the speech where I get this, uh, the title from of our, of our sermon today. After he was president in 1910, he, he said this. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena whose face is marred with sweat and dust and blood who strives valiantly who comes short again and again, but who spends himself in a worthy cause, who if he wins knows the triumph 
and if he fails, at least fails while, da while daring greatly. Is that the life of this chapter? Is that the picture? I mean, that's a really rah-rah thing. I, I would be to stop there, and you you'd be excited to go out and fight and do so for, for Jesus. I've been to plenty of youth group conferences in my days when I was a teenager that, that, that ended on this note that said, go out there and fight for Jesus. No. No. Because really, neither TR nor you nor I have been in the arena. There is one champion who's been in the arena with death. There's one author of our faith. And it's not you and your striving. It's Jesus Christ. He is the one who gets in the mud. He is the one who gets in the arena. He is the one whose face was marred with sweat and dirt and blood. He is the one who did not fail, but who gave himself for a worthy cause like you never do, like TR never did. Because he gave himself for unworthy people like Jacob. He gave himself for cold-hearted, mediocre, deceitful souls like you and like me. And so, friends, do you know that when you look at the grace of God, you may think <laughs> that Jesus Christ looks smitten and stricken and afflicted? You may think he's a, he's a loser. That guy? I mean, if, if that's the measure of Christianity, to die, to fail, I don't want any of that. I don't want any of that. And it seemed like, doesn't it? At Calvary, it seems like that the God puts himself against Jesus Christ. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But what does that lead to? It leads to a resurrection. It is Jesus Christ as the victor. Jesus Christ in the arena, the man in the arena who fights and who wins by dying. So that you can fight in your life. So that you can cling to him. And as you cling to him, you are given strength to go through the trials. You are given strength to be afflicted by the touch of God. The truth is, friends, not that you're the man in the arena striving, but that Jesus fights for you. That's why you may leave here today limping. Grace hurts. But we are told at the very end that the sun rose on Jacob. No longer in the dark. A new day dawns, a day of joy, a day of gladness, a day of grace. As Christians, you are spared. You are spared the duel in the dirt with the devil and death because God has done it himself. Is that disruptive enough for you that your responsibility is to cling to him? And you don't need to ask what's your name because you have the name above every name, Jesus Christ himself. And we're told here that, that Jacob says, I've seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. But as a Christian, the only way your life is delivered is if you see God face to face. You have to go to him. Are you going to him? Are you going to him this week? As he afflicts you, as you get so tempted to be upset with him, are you going to him nonetheless? The one who stands against you is for you. That is your God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we ask that you would Show us the darkness of your grace that you would allow us even to suffer more this light momentary affliction, not because we enjoy suffering, Lord, but because through it we see the end of ourselves. Help us come to the final point of our striving to give up, 
our strength and to cling only to your precious bleeding side. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.